This is one of those wonderful, terrible days. <laughs> yeah. God is good. It's always good to It's always good to gather with the saints. So good to see you all. So good to see you all. We've had a couple of surprises in the last uh, 24 hours. Our family was in the family room last night. We we're going to just all gather together for dinner. Josh's family was up from Nashville, and we were waiting for Judd and Sarah to show up because they were late. <laughs> and lo and behold, they had a reason for being late. I walked over to the deck door thinking that Josh was coming in, and there was Dave Frank from Spain. So, pretty cool. <clears throat> Surprises like that should be illegal. <laughs> and then my sister and brother-in-law show up this morning. Pretty cool. <clears throat> Today's message is going to be a little bit different, as you could imagine. Um, as the West Hills family knows, I am an emotional person to begin with. And so this kind of day just sort of puts you over the top, so you'll bear with me, I trust. Thank you for being here. It's a great day. Every day is a good day, right? This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And any tears that we shed are tears of joy. Um, first, let me answer a couple of critical questions that have been most commonly asked. Uh, the first one is, how is Jesse going to get his special donut on Sunday mornings? <laughs> so we've got to get that one figured out. <clears throat> Secondly, what are your plans for the immediate future? Um, I have decided to run for political office as the mayor of Baldwin. So, Now, actually, uh, in about two weeks, 10 days, two weeks, I'll be heading up to Michigan. Uh, as the West Hills family knows, the Lord has blessed us with a different cottage. Um, the first one that the Lord blessed us with several years ago, we sold, and we bought a different one, and, and we're remodeling the, or finishing, I should say, the basement. And so we'll, my, my, another brother-in-law of mine, who's a carpenter, he's skilled, and I'm grunt, grunt labor. And so we're going to be working for several weeks. I'll be coming back around Easter, and then Jesse and Jenny and I will be heading back up early May to our second home, our home away from home, uh, up in Michigan. Um, I was asked by the kids this morning downstairs. They had kind of a special time. They made some muffins and made me a lot of artwork and stuff. And I was asked, uh, what, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> That's a huge question, you know, <laughs> huge. But just, I mean, it goes without saying, I'm retiring from vocational ministry as a pastor. I'm not retiring from ministry. I'm not retiring from serving the Lord and loving God and living for his glory and his honor. And I trust that that's in your heart as well. I just hope that that is what drives you and 
motivates you in all that you do. Live for the Lord. Another, uh, the last question, will you keep coming to West Hills or are you going to go to a different church? Uh, We're going to check out a church down in Brentwood that we've heard some good things about. (laughs) It's called Christ Church. The pastor's last name just happens to be Brooks. Uh, The reason we're not going to stay at West Hills, um, well, I think this cartoon kind of captures why retiring pastors should never remain at their last church. <clears throat> that would be really ugly, wouldn't it? You know, Pastor Will's over here preaching and I'm just standing here hanging on the pulpit. <clears throat> no, we, uh, for, for, for lots of good reasons. Uh, we're going to mosey down the road and support uh, Christ Church and Judd we're still going to be around. You know, this isn't my funeral. This is, uh, uh, you're still going to see us because you've been, our, you've, been, you've been in our lives for three decades. This morning's passage of scripture that I'd like to work out of is Philippians chapter one. When Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, it was a church he loved. It was you know, churches, they're, they're wonderful churches, they're difficult churches, all churches go through seasons. Of all the churches that the Apostle Paul worked with, probably the church in Philippi was the one that he seemed to receive the, the most joy and delight from. And that's true for me with all of you. And so that's one of the reasons why I picked this passage. And Paul's, Paul's um, sentiments in the opening to this letter resonate very much with my sentiments as I, as I uh, leave all of you as your lead pastor. So please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Philippians 1. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Spirit of God who is our teacher. And we pray that uh, we would leave here in some way changed, encouraged, um, convicted, uplifted, reminded of things that are so dear to your heart. We give you thanks and praise. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart 
be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let me just pull out some main ideas from from these verses that uh, really resonate very much with with me today. Uh, First of all, like the Apostle Paul with the Philippians, I will remember all of you with thanksgiving and with joy. Uh, Paul says, I thank my God, and and that's where we should always begin, right? You begin by thanking God. You know, every day you should be thanking God for for everything. The fact that you woke up this morning, thank God. For the fact that you have uh, air in your lungs, thank God. For, for, For being saved by the blood of Jesus, thank God. For the church, thank God. Be a thankful people. Be a thankful people because that affects all the rest of your life. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, says Paul. And so for Paul, that's about 12, 13, 14 years of remembrance. He had first come to Philippi. Um, You can read about it in Acts 16, where he, he, he wanted to go into Asia with the gospel, and the Spirit of God said, no. We don't know exactly if that was a dream or a vision or what, but the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going into Asia. And he had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over to us. And so the Apostle Paul went to Macedonia, and the leading metropolis in Macedonia was the city of Philippi. And so Paul went to Philippi, and the Lord did some marvelous things while he was, he was just there for a short time. But the Spirit of God was poured out in the city of Philippi, and uh, the first convert in Philippi was a woman named Lydia, and her whole household came to faith. And then he gets thrown in jail, and the Philippian jailer and his household come to faith, and a church is born. A church is born in Philippi. And it was actually the very first church on European soil that the Apostle Paul planted. And so he thinks back to, that was basically around 49 or 50 AD when the church was planted in Philippi. Now it's about 62 AD, about 12, 13 years. He had made two or three visits back to the church in Philippi just to encourage them over the years. And so it's been about 12 or 13 years, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thank my God as I think back over the last 12, 13 years. Always in every prayer of mine for you, I'll make my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Um, In other words, the key ingredient to Paul's prayer for the Philippians was joy. That was the key ingredient, the key element. You can make a prayer with other things. You know that. You can make a prayer with other things besides joy. Um, I was trying to think of a really homey illustration of this, and boy, I, I was really struggling. Maybe it's because I was hungry when I wrote this, but uh, it, it might seem like a silly analogy, but I'll, but I'll, I'll compare it to making, making a dinner, and you decide to, to make your favorite chicken dish. And... Uh, it can be chicken marsala, it could be 
garlic chicken, chipotle chicken, balsamic chicken, chicken parmesan. They all have chicken. But it's the particular spice or flavor that sets one apart from the others. It's the same with your prayers. There's a certain spice or flavor that sets this, part, this prayer apart from this prayer. And so it's what you make your prayer with. King David made, made some of his prayers with desperation. They were desperate prayers. Save me, O God. That's a desperate prayer. Rescue me from my enemies. Uh, King David made some of his prayers with anger and hatred. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? I abhor those who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. Wow, that's honesty in prayer. David was saying, I really despise those people who do not, do not honor you, Lord. Uh, you can make a prayer with awe and wonder. Um, you knit me together in my mother's womb, David says in Psalm 139. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's a prayer made with awe and wonder. So if you were to think back over your prayers over the last 30 days, what were they made with? Were some of your prayers made with desperation? Were some of your prayers made with, with frustration? Were some of your prayers made with hopelessness? Were some of your prayers made with joy? Paul here is saying, I made my prayer for you with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. Now for me, the first day here was 1989. I did not receive a Macedonian call. I received a telephone call from the chairman of the pastoral search team at that particular time, which was then followed up by a personal visit from a very good man named Randy Mink. And Randy's here someplace with Becky. And uh, Randy and his son, their son Jeremy, came up to Minnesota where I was pastoring at the time and uh, came to church, snuck in surreptitiously. And then we had lunch together. I think they came over to our home for the afternoon, spent some time. That was the beginning of my relationship, our relationship with this church. For those of you who don't know the story, when, I came, when we came here, I was 37, Jenny was 35, Jesse 10, Josh almost 8, Judd 6, and Aaron 6 months. And now we have five grandkids with the sixth on the way. So this is a lot of life that we have shared together as a church family. Our kids grew up in this church. So many faithful Sunday school teachers, Awana workers and Awana leaders, youth group leaders, so many others who just in a variety of ways touched the, our children's lives over those years. This is where they were all baptized, right there. Two of our kids, Judd and Aaron, met their future spouses here. Pretty cool. That's what a church family is about. Uh, Josh and Joe and Judd and Sarah, uh, they were part of a groundswell of young married couples back in the, I think, early 2000s. Two, we had two separate life groups of young marrieds meeting in the basement of our home at that time. Um, instrumental, instrumental years in investing and shaping the lives of our family. And of course, our Jesse has been loved in so many special ways by so many of you. And so you can see why Jenny and I will make our prayers for all of you with thanksgiving and joy. 
And then, as you can imagine, a church goes through lots of different seasons over three decades. Some of you have been here for three months. Maybe some of you have been here for three weeks. But a church goes through so many seasons over three decades, lots of things change. I mean, clothing styles change, thank goodness. Um, (laughs) Hairstyles change for those who keep their hair for three decades. Music styles have changed since 1989. When I first came, we had hymnals in the pew racks. We had pews. Uh, We had a choir up here. Um, This is a totally different configuration. We had a choir with the ugliest gold choir robes you can possibly imagine. (laughs) Sorry to those of you who had to wear them. We had an organ on that side. We had a piano over here. No guitars. Definitely no drums. (laughs) Over the years, we discontinued some ministries. We added other ministries. Uh, Care groups were formed. Then care groups became life groups. We changed the name of our church from Bethany Baptist to West Hills because we didn't want stereotypes of names to keep people from discovering Christ. And um, we believe that that has actually happened since we made that decision. We've gone through two building programs. Um, In the first one, we built this funky-looking tower on the front of our building. And then I, as the pastor, had to give it a spiritual meaning because we had total strangers wanting to know what the giant sail symbolized. And so I was so thankful when I stumbled on Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and are safe. I said, thank you, Lord, for <laughs> saving me from an architectural disaster. The interior of our facility has changed substantially over the years. When I first came, my office was located in what is now sort of behind the fireplace in the gathering room. All the offices were up here, not downstairs. The cafe area out here was the church library. Uh, The nursery was on the lower level in the area that is now our church offices. Um, And lots of other changes. As a church body, we had to maneuver our way through the financial downturn of 2008, along with lots of other churches. In 2013, we endured a a church-wide flood that pushed all of us into the far east end of the building for the better part of, of that entire year. And of course, the makeup of a church family changes over years. People come and people go. People come to seminary and colleges and, and Logan, and we, we are able to minister to them for two, three, four years, and then the Lord moves them on different places. Um, births, home goings of saints going home to be with the Lord. Staff changes. I've been blessed over these years with so many wonderful, wonderful staff. I praise God for each of them. And then he says, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Key phrase. Because of our partnership in the gospel. That's what ties us together. Did you know that? That's what has tied us together for these 30 years. It's the gospel. It's all about the gospel. It's what we share in common. It's what they shared. It's what Paul shared. He wasn't writing to a group of, elder, a group of apostles. He wasn't writing to a group of, of you know, elite leaders. No, he was writing to a church, believers, saying what we share is the gospel. That's our common bond. 
That's what ties us together. We share a gospel fellowship. Our partnership is not a political cause. Our partnership is not a social cause. Our partnership is not conservative or progressive. Our, our partnership is not based on the color of one's skin or where you live or how much you earn or where you went to school. No, our partnership is the gospel. And I hope you understand that and love that and cherish that. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's what's most important. The gospel is the reason that there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are here in Christ Jesus this morning. No condemnation. It's because of the gospel. You have peace with God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is because of the gospel that many of us in this room were who were dead in our transgressions and sins, God made us alive through Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. That's the gospel. That's our partnership. That's your bond. That's your identity as a church going forward. And I trust that if there are any here who have never come to the realization of the wonder of the gospel, that God would send his son for you, to die for you, that you might have fellowship with him, that you might actually know God personally. You might be able to call out to God as your, your father and have Christ as your savior, but also Christ as your brother. Jesus said, I am not ashamed to call them my brothers. That's the gospel. And so here at West Hills over these 30 years, we've preached the gospel, we've gloried in the gospel, we believe the gospel, we love the gospel, we proclaim the gospel, we share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus, and, and we have sought to live by the gospel. For that and for so many other reasons, I will remember you, Jenny and I will remember you all with thanksgiving and joy. The second thing from Paul's opening comments, I will trust the Lord to complete his good work in and among you. I will trust the Lord to complete his good work in and among you all. Paul writes, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I read, I read that, and I think to myself, Paul, how can you be so certain? How can you be so sure of this? And the answer is because it's God it's God's good work. He, he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's God's work. You see, God uses people. God uses pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers and nursery workers and people with all kinds of spirit. God uses people, which is a mystery in itself, right? absolute mystery. We should be amazed that God would use people like you and me. Finite, sinful, messed up, rebellious people with mess. And yet God uses us. It's amazing. And so I'm thankful that I was used by God along with all of you over these, over these three decades. God will, God will use Pastor Will. He will use 
Allie and Donnie and Lana. He will use the, the elders. He will use Bible class and Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, life group leaders. He will use all of you with your spiritual gifts. But never forget, it is God. It is God who is at work in you. And he gets all the glory. And it says that he will finish He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's because everything that God starts, he finishes. Everything God starts, he finishes. How many of you have started a project that you didn't finish? (laughs) Every single hand in here should be up. Yeah, Yeah, you, you painted the bedroom, but you didn't finish painting the closet. You started a book, but you didn't finish it. You started a fitness plan, but then you got sidetracked. Now, every fitness plan I've ever started, I've finished. I just want you to know that. I basically said, I'm done with that one. God has never started anything that he did not finish. Especially that is true of the good work that he begins in the life of every single, every single person he calls to himself. He finishes that work. He uses all kinds of things to get it done. He'll use, he'll use sunshiny days and stormy days. He'll use good times and terrible times. He'll use people who love you and people who don't like you. He'll use your successes and he'll use your failures. He will even use your sins, not condoning them, but he will use them to draw you back to himself in repentance and contrition and brokenness. Praise God. Praise God. And so as I leave here, I will trust God. I will trust God to complete the good work in and among you all. Thirdly, with the Apostle Paul, I will tell you today that I will hold you in my heart with great affection. I will hold you in my heart with great affection. Paul writes, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love that phrase, I hold you in my heart. How many of us as parents haven't said that to our kids or about our kids? I hold you in my heart. When you're, when you're far from, when you, live, when you live in a different, different city, I hold you in my heart. When you're going through a, a trial, maybe especially when our kids, young or grown, are going through a a season of challenge and, and, and difficulty, boy, that's when you hold them in your heart, don't you? So as parents, we hold our family members, our children in our hearts. The Apostle Paul says that about the church in Philippi. Now we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of him as the great theologian who gave us Romans and Ephesians. We think of Paul as the missionary and church planter. We think of Paul as the defender of the faith and the great apologist and the prisoner, someone who dealt with all kinds of conflicts. He was, he was, he was whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and you know, 
things that you and I can't even... We think of the Apostle Paul in all those terms. But it's this kind of phrase right here that tells you so much about Paul as a shepherd and as a man whose emotions ran deep. I, I, I resonate with Paul in these moments because my emotions run deep. As you all know, I think they really ran deep for the Apostle Paul. This kind of a phrase, I hold you in my heart, this is the, this is the feeling part of being a pastor. There's the intellectual part of being a pastor, there's the, there's the analytical part, there's the administrative part of being a pastor, there's the teaching and researching and studying part of being, there's a feeling part of being a pastor. That's what Paul's getting at here. A pastor is always holding people in his heart. Always. I'm not sure that when you first sign up for this that you realize that you'll be doing this for the rest of your life. But you will be. You soon discover it is an unwritten part of the job description. Holding people in your heart. And it just sort of happens. You're not sure where it begins. You know that it never ends. Because your heart gets filled with people. Your heart gets filled with people. You know their stories. You know their successes. You know their victories. You know their sins. You've walked with them through so many stages and episodes of life. You've grown to love them. These are people that you've laughed with and these are people that you've wept with. People who are dealing with the consequences of their own sins and people who are dealing with the consequences of others who have sinned against them. People who are on the verge of giving up all hope and people who have for the very first time discovered what real hope is. People who have encouraged you as a pastor and yes, even people who have attacked you as a pastor. Those people who wake you up at 3 o'clock in the morning with a knot in your stomach. But you know you've got to love them and figure out how to fix this thing. That's 30 years you go through that stuff because we're people. You hold them in your heart. So many life circumstances. I think of the, I think of the births that Jenny and I have been here to celebrate over these years. Lots and lots of babies have been born in this church. I mean, I haven't kept count, but we've been pretty prolific around here. <laughs> the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply, and we have taken that commandment very, very seriously. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Godly people should raise godly children. We've also been there to celebrate with a few adoptions over the years. You see, you hold new parents in your heart as they celebrate this new member of their family. But you also hold in your heart those who never got to hold their baby because of a miscarriage or who only got to hold them for a few minutes or a few hours or a few days. You hold them in your heart and you hold them in your arms. You've been in... You've been in You've been in my heart, those of you who have come to faith in Christ over these years. 
those of you who've been baptized, I think of the many baptisms over the years, from young children who needed a stool to stand on in the baptistry, to those who were so tall that I said, you've got to bend your knees or your head's, gonna, your head's gonna get clunked on the other end of this thing. We've had most of the baptisms here. We've had baptisms in swimming pools. We've had baptisms in a lake out near Forestell. Some of you were probably there for that, perhaps. Um, we had an all-church picnic that day out of, out of this family's property, and then we had the baptismal service, and I will tell you, the lake bottom was not Lake Michigan. Uh, it was thick mud, the kind of mud that wants to swallow you whole. <laughs> and with every baptism, I just, my feet just kept going down and down and, until, it was, until it was about halfway up to my knee. And uh, But those are great memories. Those are great memories. Because you know that every time a person is baptized and shares their testimony of faith in Jesus... God has begun a new work in that person's life someplace leading up to that baptism. Uh, I've got some great wedding memories over the years, people that I've held in my heart. Um, Ben Travaskis, he's here today. I dedicated him as a baby and then had the privilege and honor of doing their wedding. What a joy. Brian and Missy Gamble, you know, what a delight to be a part of the Lord bringing the two of them together. They almost spent their entire honeymoon in Michigan on a missions trip in Sault Ste. Marie. That was pretty close to their honeymoon. Matt and Lauren Brickler, they asked if I'd be willing to do a destination wedding. And I'm thinking, Hawaii? <laughs> no, it was Michigan. <laughs> right on the shores of Lake Michigan, 10 miles from where we go in the summertime in Arcadia. What a delight that was. One couple came to me here on a work day here at the church. We used to have spring work days where we clean up the grounds and everything. Came over and said, Pastor Gary, we want to do three things. We want to join the church, we want to get married, and we want to be baptized. What order do we do those in? <laughs> and so we got that all figured out, and it ended up being just a great, great celebration of God's good work in their lives. And Praise God, the Lord continues to bless them today. Another wedding that was humorous to me is that the groom came to me the day of the wedding to tell me that he had forgotten to get a marriage license and wondering if I would still marry them. I, of course, said no. No, no. I didn't say that. What I thought was so humorous was that he was a lawyer. And I'm scanning the crowd to see if he's here. I'm not sure. But his last name is West, in case you... <laughs> and then there was a wedding in late December. Major, major winter storm was forecast to hit St. Louis on the day of the wedding. And uh, this couple had their flight scheduled to, a, uh, I think, an all-inclusive resort and honeymoon arrangements that required that they fly out the day after the wedding. And we honestly didn't know if we'd be able to hold the ceremony because of this major blizzard that was supposed to come in. And so I decided that I would marry them privately the night of the rehearsal with just parents and the two witnesses in in my office. And uh, so we did that. And then they asked me right after 
we, they said their vows, if it would be all right if they consummated their marriage that night. <laughs> See, being a pastor has, it's just, it's great. It's just great. And I know what you're wanting to ask. And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> On the other side of the emotional spectrum, I have held some of you in my heart and in my arms when you've gone through life crises. A marriage that was destroyed because of an unfaithful spouse. A fearful diagnosis that came with very little hope. Prodigal sons and daughters who as adults want little or nothing to do with Jesus. Family conflicts with siblings and parents and whoever that literally have torn apart family relationships. Battles with mental illnesses that some of you have gone through. Family members who have committed suicides. Suicide. Uh, I had the, un the unfortunate... Um, task of doing five suicide funerals in this church in those 30 years. It tells you something about our culture and where we're at and, and the fact that our, our only hope is Christ. Being there at the bedside when someone has taken their last breath. You see, this whole thing about holding people in your heart with the affection of Christ Jesus, I will tell you, it is not something that they train you for in seminary. It just seems to be one of those things that the Spirit of Christ does in the heart of a shepherd as he tends the lambs and feeds the sheep and, yeah, even deals with a few goats. And you say, why? Why does a pastor have to hold people in his heart? Because the chief shepherd holds his sheep in his heart. And don't you ever forget that. Maybe some of you today need to be reminded of that. The chief shepherd holds you in his heart. And then finally, Paul tells them specifically about how he prays for them. And this is how I shall pray for all of you. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And so I will pray for your love to abound, for your love to overflow, for your love to increase, for your love for God to increase, for your love for Christ to increase, for your love for the Word of God to increase, for your love for each other to increase, and for your love for the lost to increase. I will pray that. With knowledge and all discernment, I will pray for your knowledge to increase. Your knowledge of God, your knowledge of Christ, your knowledge of the scriptures. I, I pray that your knowledge of Christ will grow sweeter and sweeter with each passing day. That you will delight to know your Savior. That it won't just be this religious thing, but that your heart will become warmed by 
Christ. For your knowledge and all discernment, he says, I will pray that you will have the ability to discern truth from error, true preaching and teaching from false preaching and teaching. There's so many false gospels out there today. I will pray for your sanctification to advance, Paul says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I will pray for your sanctification. That means your Christ-likeness, that you will take on more and more of the characteristics of Jesus, that you'll look just a little bit more like him, that you'll sound a little bit more like him, so that just as people look to, the, look to Jesus and know what the Father looks like, people can look at you and get a glimpse of what Jesus must look like. And then he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. I will pray for the fruit of righteousness to overflow here at West Hills. The fruit of righteous lives. The fruit of lives that reflect the fact that our only righteousness comes through Christ. He is our only source of righteousness. And all of this, all of this, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. As I close, um, my, I guess you could say my last pastoral activity among you, uh, I'd like to ask Pastor Will and the elders if they would come and join me here at the front. I'd like, I'd like men, if you could just kneel here at the front, please. Um, The Apostle Paul, when he departed, uh, not Philippi, but Ephesus, uh, he, he gathered with the elders of the church in Ephesus, and it says that they wept with each other, and they held each other, and they, he prayed for them. And so it's an honor for me to pray for all of you, and through them, I am also praying for all of you. Please pray with me. And so our Lord and our God, we give you thanks and praise. I thank you for these men. I thank you that they have hearts that love the Lord their God. They desire to love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. I pray that you would anoint them and bless them. Pour out your spirit upon them. Unite them. Take them into this next season of ministry, united in every way, joyful in every way, delighting with the opportunity to serve Christ. I pray for our church's new pastor. Bless him, Lord. I pray that you would anoint his teaching and his preaching. She would bless his marriage, his family, 
I pray that the people of West Hills would love him deeply, encourage him, lift him up. Father, thank you for brothers who have encouraged me, stood with me, who have loved me well. May they have a love for Christ. May they have a love for the Word of God. May they protect the flock. Bless them, Lord. And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace. which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. To him be the glory. Amen and amen.